It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, so Jake's shooting right now. Are you in character? Not yet. Hold on. Tell us when you're in character. Hey, will you scratch my balls? I have monkey pox. No, you know what the things that the thing that's awesome right now uh, is we got the couch over there. Yep. Only we're not bringing in a big star. We're bringing in Denny Hall. Yeah, yeah, we are. That's great. I mean, it, it was it because we couldn't get anybody else, or because we just love this guy? Because the people, they love him. They do love him. Column A, column B, though. <sighs> Look at those shorts, man. Bermuda shorts. So these have become the official shorts of Morning Combat, and I'm not going to say that I have the muscularity in my legs to pull this off, despite the fake kind of tan left over from the cruise, but I commit to the part, I commit to the brand. I don't know what I got myself into here. Well, if it's not Pornhub, it's definitely whatever event is coming up, because I think he studies on the fly like this right before we talk about something. Dude, I look terrible here. I look bunched up. The vaping. The edibles suck, motherfucking This is what I deal with when I come in here. People are always like, do you script these interactions? No, this is this is a journey. Our sound guy is dropping a deuce right now. This is the migration growth of men. All over you, all over me. They do know I can hear them, right? Well, normally when we do these, we have people who are good at fighting. <laughs> but you can look at all three of us and tell that's not the case. <laughs> they didn't show up this time. <laughs> Instead, what we decided to do was we decided to talk about a guy who is maybe the very best writer we've ever had who has covered fighting. You know him very well. You've seen him on pregame previews. You've seen him on all of his work in various places over the years, ESPN, MMA Fighting. He is our friend and yours. Let's get to know a little bit more about the Iceman himself, the man in the hat. Chuck Mendenhall. Hi, Chuck. How are you? Fellas, I got invited to the room. I'll take this. Yeah, this is very like? nice. This because is very Chuck, nice. you fit in seamlessly in terms of this weird MK environment and this The opposite incubator. of how I fit in this chair, basically. You complement <laughs> our eccentricity so perfect. But this time we said, we want you to be the subject. I had a lot of friends in high school. So, you know, I could hang out with the stoners. I could hang out with the death metal guys. Yeah. I could hang out with the jocks. You know what I mean? So, did you go to the same high school all four years? Uh, three years. Three years. Chip yeah. sticks, chains, whips. Yeah, the whole. No, thing. my school was a, a sophomore through senior. Where Where did you grow up? I grew up in Denver, Colorado. So Horizon High School. Is that where you were born? I was. Yep. What year did you graduate high school? If you don't mind me outing. Yeah, you're old. Two thousand one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, bitch. Nineteen ninety one. Oh Jesus. God. Okay, so I was ah, in, that's not a good response. I was in seventh I mean, grade, pretty... but that's a great time. <laughs> were you really in seventh grade? I was in seventh grade. Ninety one. I was. Ninety one. I was in. Fifth grade. You know, wow. because I graduated Young. class of 96 high school. But and like, you guys are always talking about how washed you are. Come on, man. Yeah, we're we're washed. I feel washed. younger than yeah. you cats. Chuck, tell me about prime Chuck. 17-year-old Chuck, 18-year-old Chuck, 1991. I'm sure you got, you might have had hair back then. What does this guy look like? What, what does he sound like? What is he thinking? What were wow, you like? what a broad like? question. From, in 1991, very much into like uh, industrial you know, the industrial music that was going on in the day. like Ramstein. Not to rap. No, like, you know, uh, from 242, uh, those sort of bands. I was a big 60s guy, too. Like, I loved all the 60s music at this era, which is kind of strange to you think back on. You were the asshole on. who was pumping Zeppelin in the 90s? Not, I mean, more the psychedelic 60s, I would oh, say. Okay. You know all what right. I mean? So and and doing some psychedelics to go along with that. That's so Denver, uh, very Denver, oh, there you go, oh, man. Colorado very style. Denver, yeah. Yeah. yes. So it was uh, it was all good, you know, but it was. Uh, um, a unique thing, and always a fisherman. Grew up out in Colorado. Grandpa was from uh, Leadville, Colorado, which is like uh, at 10,000 feet, and 
the one all my all my yeah all my uh, all my father's side is basically from you know the mountains in Colorado so when did you start writing like realize you had a gift for it Oh man, that's just a tough one. Um, Letters to home from prison that time. <laughs> it was close. No, I would say that. Um, to be honest, man, it was. A, it was. I, I always look back at this and wish I'd done it earlier. I was very good. I wrote for like my college paper um, in Denver, like just doing some basic articles and stuff, but never really considered being a writer for years. You know, after that, but uh, I came back to it at some point in the late 90s uh, and took a job at LA Weekly, which is an alternative news weekly out in Los Angeles. And is that's that like kind of the Village of Voice of the Village Left Voice, Coast? exactly. They were owned the same umbrella, oh. same umbrella. So I uh, I started writing about music mostly, um, and that's kind of how it started, man. I just started uh, putting words together and, like, you know, I, I, I think I read a lot, you know, like, as you read, and if you feel like you're getting something from the reading material and you really understand it, the nuance of what you're reading, Eventually, you're like, I think I can write like this, or I think I can do something. And I grew up a big boxing um, fan in terms of the writing. Like, I love the writers who used to write Legends. about boxing. Yeah, Le back in the day. Joyce Carol Oates. I mean, even Joyce Carol Oates. I've read. I've you know, I grew up on all of that. Read a lot of that stuff. And I thought when I was coming, you know, maybe around 2006 or seven. Where's that voice in MMA? I didn't mm -hmm. know where it was. I didn't know if it would exist. I didn't even know if a voice like that could exist. And that's kind of how it segued into that. But um, I've always been a big, you know, uh, old Sports Illustrated, the Mark Crams of the world, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like those types. I've always loved that stuff. So um, it was just kind of was a natural thing, reading it first, and then eventually you're like, you know, I should try this. I bet I could write as well. But you didn't write like at all at, in high school? Like what did you do in high school? Not if it wasn't assigned. Weed. Uh. That's what he did, all right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, no, and I would say that I came up in a, in a family that um, – like I mentioned, my dad was he was a military guy, and I think he Oak was Ridge. sort of like he was uh, he was Army and Navy. He did he did Damn. Uh, yeah, yeah he, he did, did both. both. He yeah. took a bite out of both apples. And uh, he's in the submarine submarines with the oh, Navy. That's, the, yeah. that's no bullshit. Yeah, but uh, he was he was kind of like one of those guys whose college was sort of an abstract idea. It was more like military or get the hell out type. Yeah, of, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? So uh, it wasn't that type of environment when I was growing up. I kind of had to find it on my own. I didn't have like the people in my my household who are, um, you know. You got siblings? I have two older siblings. I have an older sister and an older brother. Do they yeah. have equally unusual careers? Um, no, not as unusual. My okay. brother's a mailman, actually, out in Yuma, Arizona. My sister is more of a stay-at-home, you know, uh, type. But she's she does a lot of, she sells crafts, things like that. Yeah, like, yeah, she yeah. does some stuff on the side. But, uh, yeah, nothing like what I do. In That's fact, I'm pretty sure when I talked to my side of the family that they're still... Not a real understanding of what I do. Oh exactly. yeah, I might as well work in <laughs> pornography. I mean, well, sort, that's sort of the truth. Well, I was excited because people know the man in the hat. They know you're writing for years. I've always looked at you, and I say this as a compliment, as a survivor in this industry. This industry ain't ain't easy. There's not a lot of jobs yeah. out there. There's not a lot of full time jobs out there. There's not a lot of full time jobs out there that pay well. You've Found work, made your own work. I was your editor at ESPN for a hot yes, second. We had yes, the we have team. actually. We should People say this. forget that, man. Yeah. Like, that's, that's we, a you and I have worked with Chuck prior to ever working yes. with Chuck on MK for yes. long stretches. Yeah, too. Oh, 2012, yeah. 13. I was at, yeah. I was one of the MMA editors when when we were on there. You worked with Luke forever. What do you sort of identify? And I know you hate everyone hates talking about themselves if they're not a gloater. You know what I mean? What this is think, unique. I will. Say what that. do you think your role right now? <laughs> And combat sports media is because I look at you as the old wizard with the with with the double merkin and just you know the, the double merkin the double merkin <laughs> <laughs> got to cover that monkey pot. <laughs> I uh, I don't know to be honest. Really, realistically, and I mean we were talking about this before. You know, with what happened with the athletic, uh, um, just kind of. I, there was a reassessment period where you're like, maybe maybe I don't want to be in this racket as much as I was. The writing aspect of it, man, it's like, you know, times change. From the time I started this game, writing was kind of, uh, it was a big entry point for me to be able to do that. There were such things as Fight Magazine. I was doing cover stories for them. I was I was traveling around doing major features all over the place. It's just kind of changed. It's still valued as an art form. Yes. Well, now it's either a means to something else. Yeah, you mentioned this. You said, I, was, I think it was a Ben Folks thing. You said that, yeah. like, the writer, you know, opinion writing has kind of been lost through this whole process of, you yeah, know. Opinion I, I, has moved to yes, audio. Yes. And video. Right. And I would say that that's kind of what I've been doing. You know, like I, we, we do a podcast at The Ringer now and, you know, I do this stuff with you guys. So a lot of the stuff I'm talking about is in person. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about it and it's that kind of ephemera versus the other kind. 
which uh, which is uh, the printed page, which is already gone. Um, I still prefer writing. Obviously, it was like the kind of the way it came up. I still prefer reading like uh, my material if if you're getting it. Um, and you just want to understand something and its nuances, a good write, a, a good piece of writing still translates better for me, but, uh, but you know, it is what it is in that sense. And I still, I still write and I think I'll be writing more as we go on. It just, I wanted to take a little break from it, just given some of the, like you mentioned a survivor after some of the things that happen over the course of time, you're like, you know what, man, let me step back for a minute and <laughs> We've take all a break. Had that. Look yeah. in the mirror. Should for I be sure. selling insurance? Is that more practical? Am for I ever sure. going to get there? For sure. Let me ask you though. Why do you think, what's your best read? on why opinion has, it does, it's still, we, we do a whole show on opinion. It's not like opinion is gone, but why did opinion go from writing to podcasting and, and video podcasting? There's a, there's a point when Seth Wicker, Wickersham, I think that's his name, like he's a, he's a writer. Like I saw a piece he did uh, on ESPN. I don't know when this is going to actually run, but he, recently, uh, there's an exhaustion that comes with knowing a guy is actually going to be thoughtful and provocative and actually have a nuanced piece. There's something commit. about yeah. it. You've got to commit. And I feel like that that's where it is. It's just gradually went away where people want to commit to something that nuanced or long, especially long form stuff. killed the institution of marriage, lack of commitment. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And <laughs> by the way, the, the, I was dying with the, uh, when you when uh, when you're talking to Uriah Faber on the, like, it wasn't this couch it was the he one was like, in Vegas. Let's talk about all the guys you trained no, in their no. dicks. <laughs> no, he said. Uh, I'm like, but he's like, hey, your dong is big right now, and you're like, you're ready to kill Brian. That, I was that just, was the best I, I actually didn't want to kill him. I actually was. <laughs> I, I, dude, you know Brian. I mean, he just this is what he does. You know, <laughs> it's the greatest. I think it's great that you actually roll that shit out when you know a lot of people say that online and stuff. But anyway, where were we? I was talking about, about, about like why opinion. I think there's a. Um, it is a commitment to want to read long form. So the long form thing, and this is why, one, and one of the big reasons I think the athletic disbanded its combat sports coverage so quickly is because they, I think originally they're like, hey, we're, you guys can do features, you can do what you want. This is what we're going to play in your wheelhouse. But they realized it's not what it was. They realized that fairly quickly. And uh, so I feel like there's some kind of, uh, I don't know, like people don't want to commit to a long article. Now, do they still want to commit to the opinion article? I, was, I feel like my bigger strength over time was the column, right? Like you'd write a column about what was going on, big picture stuff, paint a picture of what was happening. Um, I still feel like that's viable. I feel like that's still out there, but I'm not sure because people still love to just see a piece of news and to discuss it now. There's so many platforms for people themselves to discuss it rather than just in a comment section or whatever it used to be. Mm -hmm. It's just changed. I mean, just the, the the psychology around reading material and stuff like that, it's just yeah. changed the way people approach Social it. Social media sped up our ADD 100%, in general. 100%. Sure. Everybody. And the speed and the attention and, and what you're willing to give to any individual piece of content. But let me push back a little bit. Why, or maybe it's coming, right? Maybe it's coming. But why don't we see that, for example... I'll click open the Washington Post, which is my hometown newspaper. Sure. Would you click open any sort of, you know, uh, the ringer where you have written before? They, in other sports and in other fields of life, I feel like people are still reading. In Like when I get my technology news, I definitely go to get my video technology news. I get my audio podcast, but I definitely read about it too. It yeah. seems it seems at least somewhat specific to MMA. Well, which we do I cover cage fighting for a living. I mean, come yeah. on, is that, wait, you know, the leadership just not interested. You think? <laughs> the truth is, too, like I think I feel like a majority of people, if they click on a, a a piece you've written, maybe you just don't hear from them. To be honest, I, I think that the 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 people who are more thoughtful actually don't comment on everything. Yeah, who but are we when, actually hearing from? Who is that one percent? <laughs> yes, that is that's kind of true. Reaching out this and is commenting true. On everything? Because every now and again, when you hit one out of the park, or you know, so every, it's for whatever reason, it um it it goes like a lot of people read it. You'll hear a ton from people, and you realize there are a lot more people reading it than you generally think, you yeah. know? So it, it can vary. I, I think that um, short burst, 800 words, like I always, I always tried to make columns like about 800 words because I felt like that was the attention span. And if you didn't yeah. like that, in 800 words you could scroll quickly to where you wanted to be. Right. You know what I mean? And you tried to like write it so that each... Uh, each little piece might, each paragraph might stand on its own if it was extracted. You know what I mean? Like it was, there was a lot more thinking going into these types of pieces uh, as time went on because of that. You just want like, look, websites so. are pressured to get clicks. Everybody went the aggregation route. It all kind of streamed together. Yeah. It's when you still see, and you're one of the authors that still produce these, when you still see a great read once in a while, it almost feels like, like something nostalgic about it. Like I remember what the I remember what it used to be like when I got the physical newspaper to my door. Every day. Oh man! And also, like Chuck is it. one of the guys. And I, BC, tell me if you disagree, but I don't think you do. I think he's on this couch for that reason. 
Chuck is one of the guys. There's a handful of them. Uh, you could put Ben Folks on the list and Sean Elshadi. Way back, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. But there were guys where after the fight, there were columns that I saw oh, out. Yeah. And I saw it out. I was like, what did you... And, and agree or disagree, that was a really, like... That was a, just a, a focal point of consuming fight coverage. Well, I'll say that I, I really appreciate that because, honestly... That I did was skim the, it, That though. was the... No, yes, <laughs> of course. I wouldn't expect you to read word for word. He's like, first... A I lot could, of it was dummy script anyway. I, I just plugged in a name, bunch of yada, I checked yada, for Morning Combat. I, you know, no, but I, I do appreciate that because I think when I set out, you're like, all you, you know, all you're trying to do is communicate, right? All you're trying to do is... I think it was A.J. Liebling back in the Sweet Science who was like, you know, on one end you're saying, I'm, I'm alive, and on the other end they're saying, I'm alive, and you both are saying, we are alive, you know, mm -hmm. and that's the point of writing. I feel like that that's kind of, that was the idea. Like, you wanted to share in experiences, sum it up for people, put it in big elevated, uh, you know, spaces so people could digest it and have further conversation. That was always <laughs> what it was about. So if I was able to accomplish anything like that, um, I'm happy for it, and I'll still do it. I'm not saying I'm done, but I'm like, uh, I, that was the whole goal. But that's wild for all of us who were relatively around the same age, have been in the business relatively around the same amount of time. My first job in the newspaper business was at a paste-up newspaper. Like, So I, we caught the tail end. We're the last generation to yeah. live without internet and cell phone on a daily basis as adults, right? I had to True. put in movie times when I was an intern at the Marietta Daily Journal. So we, we're sort of <laughs> that fertile time to have viewed this whole transition. So what was the first year you covered MMA at a high level? But speaking real quickly about like the being the last week, I just yeah. watched uh, what was it? What's the Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks movie? I saw you've it on the mail? airplane. Yes, you've got mail. Debbie does Dallas. Yes. <laughs> no, but uh, you've got mail, and you see how much times have changed because I I believe that was a late '90s film. Yes. You can see how much it's has changed. Like, Were they using AOL yeah, instant messenger? Ninety five. Ninety. Yeah, somewhere in that range. Dial up but internet. Still, this was the like this was the very beginning where they're like they're you know they're so excited to hear the little ding or you've got mail or whatever and you're like man like things are just so different today like it's just it has changed at so, warp so speed we, and we are the generation that has had to like exactly. be in lockstep with that with that change yeah, you know? and adjust and not everybody and adjust, has yeah. you have your survivor you're still here at the highest level what did you say was the first year you covered MMA at a the first year so the first year that I, I I was I was editing a newspaper in the Inland Empire of California I don't know if you know that area but it's I wouldn't recommend Is that going Interior over there. Valley? Like it's like Fresno, San Bernardino and uh, Riverside, where Ronda oh, Rousey's yeah. at. Jose Cito. Yeah. No, no. Jose yeah, Cito. Lopez and then, uh, Lorenz Larkin. Lorenz Larkin, that's yes. right. Yeah, so it's like a big deserty area yeah. east of Los Angeles and Orange County. But uh, I was, How'd you end up there? So I worked at the LA Weekly, and through that, um, through knowing that and my whole experience, the, at one of the guys from the Orange County Weekly started a paper in the in, Inland Empire, and uh, he called me. At one point, he was like, do you want to edit this paper? So I did. Wow. I moved out to Corona, and it was like this big. Damn. I did it for a couple of years. It was, it was so fun. So what was that, 06? So that was a, probably in 06, yeah. Okay, and then so I, uh, and then I, and then Dan Henderson and Quentin Rampage Jackson were both in our general area. Dan, Dan Henderson was in Temecula, which was on the cusp of our coverage area. And um, I started writing about it for that fight. And nice. then as it went to UFC 82, when Dan Henderson was fi uh, fighting uh, Anderson Silva, I was like, he's our guy because we've been writing about him before. I was like, I'm going to go out to Columbus at the time and do a cover story on him and just cover this event. I hadn't really been to a UFC event, nothing like that. So that's how it happened. I went out there and uh, I covered it. How did we begin? And not just a question for you, it's a question for all of us. You came in around 06. I started covering MMA at a, editing and writing in 2012 at a high level. You, before that, what's the biggest changes from then and now? Access Dana White in the UFC stance. Wow. The way they meet, the way the audience consumes. When you look at the whole totality of it, the, where the sport was as a niche then and now Let pretty me, damn mainstream. What do you think? Because I feel like you have a, a unique vantage point from having started a site and seeing the traffic and the way mm -hmm. the movements were going originally. You know what yeah, I mean? There's a million different changes. The media ones you've talked about, I really, I think, are quite big, actually. It's changed some fan behavior. Also, sports betting, I think. We never talk oh, about it. It's changing fan 100%. behavior a little bit as well. Um the biggest change in MMA is everything seems – This I don't know how fans feel today. I can just tell you how it feels relative to how it used to be. For example, MMA media used to – at, at my discretion, I thought this was a good idea when I was working in an editorial role, was like rabid about covering TV ratings because, dude, you just didn't yes. know if these promotions were going to be here in six months. You just never knew. Which and meant you didn't know if my job was going to be here in six yeah, months. Yeah, right? it's like, dude, like, and then you would see ratings start to slump. You'd be like, what the fuck does this mean? And, you know, so all of us were kind of figuring out in real time. But I think the biggest difference is 
everything seems so much more locked in, yeah. right? Before you kind of had to tie down whatever you wanted before the before the the tide came in and took it all. And now, um, you know, partly the UFC has been so successful that you know certainly there's an argument about them being a monopoly. But like, dude, there's like way more locked in media coverage, way more like clear developed fan bases, mm. way more people. Dude, when we were starting to cover it, people were like, "What's that Ultimate Fighting Cage right. fighting shit?" They didn't even know what <laughs> yeah. that fucking sport was yeah. called. And now there is so much more. Two cultural years ago, awareness. my dad's like, "They're still bare knuckle, right? You can punch in the yeah. balls like yeah. that." But time. at least, but like, but, but like the <laughs> thing is, Keith Hackney, but of like, dude, of it used to be. I swear to God, I would get you know on occasion, I would do local TV in DC, and someone would stop me at the grocery store and I'd be like, "You're that Ultimate Fighting guy," and I'd be like, "Sort of." Kind of. <laughs> and now every time someone asks me what I do, and I tell them, you know, blah blah blah, they're like, "Oh, you cover MMA?" Like they know the, yeah. the term. Yeah. There's MMA, dude. MMA was like, right. you know, it was on the rise, at, but you just didn't know if the bottom was ever going to drop a, out. It seems like that's not a huge we're, we're fight, past that. A huge fight and a collective fight for legitimacy. I yes, feel like everybody. Yes. And then yeah. legalization in various yes. states. There was yeah. always this like us against the machine, the big guy type of thing. And now yeah. it's like, dude, it's all pretty settled. You There's know? been a yeah. lot of fights that Here, have anyway. been. Turning point fights, obviously the UFC puts a lot of romantic nostalgia on Griffin Bonner 1 for rightful reasons of yes, what it did do. for them. I've been at ESPN since 2005. I remember a time when, you you know, everyone knows when you couldn't even get ESPN or uh, MMA or UFC talk at all. But I remember oh, the Rampage Chuck match. That was big. UFC being, 79. And it, was, and it coincided yeah. with Chuck on the cover yeah. of ESPN Magazine. Yes. Sports Illustrated got involved. It was a big deal. I think that was the first one where I felt like the mainstream people at ESPN, the bosses behind the scenes were like, we need to at least watch this. We, yes. need, to, we need to at least take note. Too bad Chuck, <laughs> Chuck got beat, but yes. And you know, yeah. there were similar <laughs> shifts when Lesnar and Rousey came around and everything's changed through the McGregor era with the vitality of all that. But when you look back at the early days for either of you, or Chuck, start with you, Dealing with Dana, what's the difference? What was Dana oh, like in the in the pre twenty ten and the pre UFC one hundred? What was but this that? This is also pre social media too, right? yes. in large part. Well, I mentioned going to UFC eighty two. They had an event at uh, whatever it's called, the Nationwide Arena, whatever yeah. that is out there. They had an event there before. It was like the Thursday night or the Wednesday night or something like that, uh, with all the fighters and some media. And like, but it was like just kind of a mingling atmosphere. And Dana was the chief mingler. He was just out there, kind of shaking hands, talking to everybody. Um, you know, I, I had a like a five minute conversation. I remember Vinny Magalish, who was uh, you know you know Vinny Magalish. He's yeah. still around, dude. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he kind of, he was working with Team Quest at the time, helping Dan Henderson. So he was kind of walking around with me, and he introduced me to Dana White, and uh, you know just kind of sat there and talked to Dana for a few minutes. It was just, I mean that's the way it was back then. There was no real big expectation. It was just very conversational, and it was still him kind of selling you on the product, which yeah, was that's right. just a complete difference of what it is today. Yeah. I think that's why Dana still has such a hard-on for newspapers or guys that came from newspapers. Legacy media. Because he yeah. was out there yeah. on the front lines going up to the Kevin Iolis and convincing them and their bosses to cover it. I mean, obviously the tables have shifted through the years in such a big oh, way. Man. Do you guys miss at all that old renegade Dana? And I don't mean the one who's putting out the video against Loretta Hunt and a lot of missteps that we can all... Be glad we're generations ago. But that Dana that was fighting to keep the brand above water, do you guys kind of miss that spirit out of him? Kind of. I do. I, <laughs> I, I, I will tell you this. I don't know if I miss it in the sense that I was ever a fan or or not, but I'll say this for him, the guy, you know. And really, you can make a – there might – I don't – I don't know the ins and outs of his medical history, but there are certainly issues with his hearing. He was—he did have a public spat with uh, Meniere's disease, which right. he had to seek treatment overseas for, which obviously, you know, we don't wish um, ill health on anyone. I, I would say this, dude, that guy, and like from like, you know, even before Tough, but like really like 2006, mm -hmm. maybe, even, maybe even, you can even go back to five post-Tough, all the way up till shit, like the sale of the UFC. That dude was all gas pedal as a promoter, man. Yes. I, I don't know if I've seen a promoter work harder wow. than him in Best my ever. Like, Bob Arum obviously was with, people don't know this, like, Bob Arum, like, repped Ali and shit. Like, Bob Arum's put it in his, he'd been mm -hmm. in the trenches too. But, dude, like, you can say that Dana overstepped, and I certainly think he did. There's been a lot of times I've had disagreements with whatever thing he said and this, that, and the other. Plenty, plenty, plenty. But you, what you cannot say is, dude, that guy was a relentless advocate for MMA in the public, sometimes for better or for worse, but the relentlessness was unimpeachable. He promoted MMA as, and the UFC certainly, and more, his, more UFC, as hard as he could. Enthusiasm was infectious. It was. His enthusiasm, the way he, the way yep. he viewed it, the way he was presenting it, the way he cared about it was infectious. I always give him credit for that because I think that the way he talked to media and stuff, the way he sold the fights, it wasn't even selling it. I really believe he was telling you what he 
thought at the time. I think he he cared to that extent. It was his baby. Uh, you know, he wanted this thing to to go across, and he did everything he possibly could. If there was a new piece of media there, like a new media outlet that was looking at it, he would make time to go and talk to that person and give them whatever they needed. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he would do those steps. Um, and he very he like you mentioned Loretta Hunt. He would get very upset when he felt like people were not looking at him, which was also very strangely like so Dana's personality it kind of came through during those times, right? Like his whole um, the whole gamut of who he could be. Like uh, I know that he got mad at like Sure Dog. I mean, he got mad at Sure Dog for uh, running a piece on Ben Askren mm-hmm. when there was an event, and he was I mean he was black, you know, you know what I mean? Like he was doing mm-hmm. stuff like that that was just. It showed you the full extent of how he thought, but also it, he did care. But I, I do kind of miss that feeling of you'd show up and it was like you felt like he was in. Everybody was kind of in on it together to get this thing into a legitimate I mean, space, it was contagious. You know I mean? It, it was made weird. the fighters, obviously, and this has been a – it's weird now in light of all the fighter pay talk currently in 2022 – but he made the fighters fight their freaking yeah. asses off, not just to keep Dude. their job and to get to the next level, but to keep the brand afloat. It became almost a contagious sort of, like, say it without say it. Maybe still say it in a locker room to fire the guys up. You hear those speeches on the old Tough episodes. But I feel like it was contagious to the level where people were like, if I go out there and fight my ass off and match Dana's spirit and his energy, we're going to we're gonna get to, paid tomorrow because they used of it. To put, they would have all the, after the wins. They would have everybody just sit on the wherever whatever arena was. I saw this a couple of times where they would just have everybody who was going to be competing sitting in an area, and Dana would address them. Do you remember these things? Like he mm-hmm. would address. It was a pep talk. A pep talk, saying like he was basically saying, "Hey, there's performance bonuses available. Yeah. Go out there and you know put it all on the line." Like crazy to actually think about in today's day and age. But he used to do that too. Like he would just uh, every single thing from monitoring the walkout songs. You know what I mean? To just just about every element he was in touch with. He was literally paying attention to. The only thing I would say in media too, like Chuck, he paid attention well, that way. Chuck, what do you think about this idea though? Like you it can be both things, which is to say, on the one hand, can we commend Dana for like, you know, just in your words, like enthusiasm, relentlessness, just pushing the brand and the sport in a way that perhaps no one else even could have at the time. At the same time, some of those practices as they got grandfathered sure. in, that just kind of turned into like arguable monopoly over time. Like yes. how much control they exert. So like, I appreciate the effort, but it, but there is a larger question about some of that stuff, right? I was yes, having of a nostalgic moment. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, bro. Well, absolutely. And that's really with the, so context, once, once the context and everything starts to catch up, obviously that delivers us in the state we're in now, which is, Unless you're a shill for the UFC, you're paying attention on levels that you weren't back then. Right. You were letting a lot of things go back then because everybody was. Everybody was sharing in that enthusiasm, to be honest. And if you read, if you really went back and looked at pieces pre-2010, I mean, there's really not a lot of negative media. I mean, you know, unless, they, unless they're not trying to cover the sport for real, they're just dipping their toe, almost everything was completely positive. You know what I mean? So it was, like, it was that kind of environment. So, yes... Looking back, and I think that's why some, in some ways the UFC um, doesn't like to be too nostalgic, too, because of those types of things, the lawsuit, the things that were going on, the, some of the things, you know, absorbing strike for all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, just everything they were doing at the time. What was the first good paycheck you got in MMA? Oof. Are you, look, are you looking for piece? dollar value? Or are you well, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, like, when Still you... I got to take a whiz. I mismanaged my my intake. Okay, hold on. Before you go, let's have a little conversation. I mean, you guys we? can keep talking, you know? Yeah, that's fine. That's, we will. Let's have a little re- revisiting of the events here. Before we actually went live, you got mad at me for getting up to oh, go. Oh, here we go. Well, Number look, one. here's the deal. You sat and here you are mismanaging the event. 10 minutes on your service. phone, and then when we're finally about to go, you're like, hold on, this I got to, I got to, order one of those little urinals, little... Uh, yeah, can I just... <laughs> my grandfather would piss in the bottle okay, on the drive to Florida on, with a full family in the car. No, just, from now on, you're wearing Depends, and that's the end of this conversation. Yes, go pee. This couch is getting warm. You wildebeest. Milk Boy Seltzer over here. It runs through me quick. I bet it does. First big paycheck. Well, I would say that like the Again, when I say big paycheck. paycheck, The first thing where you make some amount of money where it was worth it. You're worth your while. Yeah. Um, And this was important because I feel like a lot of people to this day still accept almost no pay just to be able to cover the sport, even as a part-time hobby. So many people do this. I didn't want to do that. But the jobs I was doing early on in the sport uh, were like, I did a Brock Lesnar piece for Fight Magazine uh, in 2008. I went out to Alexandria, uh, Virginia. Alexandria, 
Minnesota, mm -hmm. where he was living at the time, and did this piece on him, wrote the piece, and you it got him and everything. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, one of the rare times where I was like, I mean, he doesn't really grant that sort of thing. So it was like one of these big moments. Yeah. Uh, but it was the, one of the first things I did that you're really on site and you're doing a piece like that. And uh, they really liked that. They paid pretty well. Like, considering it was a fight, very specific magazine, a lot of national magazines pay, you know, a couple of dollars per word. They were paying something like a dollar fifty per word. Mm. It was like, you know, very comparative to like the uh you know what I mean? Like the 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 bigger magazines that were out there. I wrote for Blender magazine, I've uh had bylines of Rolling Stone. It was better than all of that, you know, like wow. uh so that was probably the first time I was like, you know, maybe there is a, a dollar in this racket, you know, maybe there is. <laughs> and so how long did you write at magazines before you ended up I guess I guess I I we met, I want to say, did we meet at the GSP Shields fight? Like, did we formally introduce ourselves? Like, you introduced yourself to me, I believe. At UFC, uh, and that was like 2011 and something like that. 129? Mm -hmm. That might be right. You were already, well, I don't I know. Did, I didn't go to many shows at that time. Like, well, we once we probably met on the set of MMA Beat. Really, right? No, we met at the fights. Really? You, you introduced yourself to me one time. Uh, we were like a post-fight presser or something like that. Okay. Um... That's, I mean, I don't remember the MMA beats full thing, but that sounds about right. It was in that, it was in that, in that time period. frame. Yeah. 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 I think so. Um, but you know, at that point I was already working at ESPN. So, uh, from 2010. So after I was doing the fight magazine covers, I think I did like 12 of them. Like I did a bunch. Jesus. So I was, I was flying out to Vegas to talk to Joseph Benavidez, you know, guys like this, that were players at the time. Was that pre Megan? No, she was, but she was, it was a uh, secret. Megan, right? Did you like get an she, early feel she, at... Nobody knew, like, nobody was really talking about it. Did but, you think uh, they would last back then, Chuck? No, come on. I didn't think. No, I, don't, I didn't really know. I didn't care. <laughs> but she was with Glad, you, glad you're here, Brian. <laughs> glad you're here. I love but, the old And then I started ESPN, and then, uh, you know, and then it, like, you know, it took off from there, because at that point, you're writing for ESPN, and you're, like, you're doing whatever they're, you know... We had a dream everything. team going. ESPN yeah. spent money. So who money. was the dream team? Okay, the lead editor was Darius Ortiz. Remember yes. him? I was the backup Darius. editor. Your writing team was Brett Okamoto, mm. Josh Gross, mm. Chad Dunnis, and Chuck Mendenhall. Damn, that's dude. right. That's Damn. A, that's, that's, that's a staff. Good. That's a good. staff right there. They had Franklin O'Neill. He had Franklin McNeil, who was contributing. You had John Anik on MMA Live yeah. with Rashad and yep. with Pat Militich. And this and is an era when they didn't give a fuck about it, man. They didn't. I mean, we had to fight for every like every scrap, you know, like that type of thing. You mean like for space, for folks who may not know, like um, to get an article on the front page of the host yeah. site. So ESPN. I remember when we went to would UFC. be hard to do. Like they're going to be stingy with that real estate. UFC 134 in Brazil, which ESPN was good enough to send me out for. I did a bunch of stuff there, and I remember on fight night going on there, and it was a big deal if you saw it on the front page of ESPN.com, oh, and yeah. it was. And I was like, I was like, now you go and it's like plastered on Saturday. But at I that moment in time, I saw my byline, I saw that, I was like, whoa, I've made it. And that was like whatever year that was. Dude, and th listen, there's all kinds of good and bad parts to the ESPN embrace of UFC, but it's a, it's a fucking full embrace. Well, boxing too. I mean, it wasn't that ESPN didn't always have Friday night fights and occasionally they dip in and get a good boxing match at championship level. But I left ESPN in 2017. Then UFC comes a year and a half later, top ranked boxing. Now they're doing pay-per-views. Right. We were at, there at a yeah. time when you're right. They, they weren't taking they notice. Weren't, they didn't really care. They didn't really trust that there would be traffic there, that the audience would want that. That's not specific it, to ESPN. That's basically yeah, everywhere. That's, everywhere. that's basically well, that's everywhere. Well, that's athletic. It's, it just happens to be wherever I'm at at yeah. the time. So Yeah, well, that's uh, why you're a survivor, Chuck, ESPN, okay? athletic. What were some of the things you got to do at ESPN? Similar kinds of pieces? Did you do anything? I mean, honestly, oh, man, for I folks who may not know, there's always some grunt work involved. But so, like the non-grunt stuff. Do you remember a cat named uh, Josh? No, what was his name? Josh Rosen, maybe? He did a blog Jake, every day. Jake, Jake Rosen. Rosen. Jake Rosen. Jake, Jake Rosen was also a um, not Dana White's favorite guy. Oh right? no, yeah. no, no, no! Yeah. But he was. I see. Okay, so the, he could. He should get a lot. Sure of, he should get yes. a lot. He came over from Sherdog. He should get yes. a lot of credit because I felt like he was the one guy who was not afraid to make fun of the not product. At all. Not at he all. Was always, he was a great writer. And he would writer. write a 500 word blog every single day. And he day. was like every single day. I mean, it was on point. And I remember seeing it. He was doing that. And when I came into ESPN, I was like, I'm going to do the exact same thing. Like, I was going to do exactly what he was doing. And so that's what I did. And he kind of disappeared because I guess they were just kind of doing like a, a partnership with the Sure Dog yep. at the time. But once we they had actual writers on their own payroll, I guess I kind of replaced him. He still showed up like we did like the hot button debates and stuff like that. He would still show up. I don't think he had a big interest in continuing at some point. But uh, basically, I tried to just take the baton, what he was doing, and do it exactly like that. So I was, I was hammering columns, opinion things, just as much as I possibly could. I was writing 
you know, three things a day sometimes. You were just, like, constantly mm. um, just hammering that out. But that, uh, yeah, the most it. fun I've ever had was in those early days at ESPN because yep. it was just, like, they weren't over-monitoring it yet. Like, so they were sort of letting you just kind of, like... they put like, a little money into it. They, they tried, They put at the least. money into it. Um, I went to a ton of events. It was the first time I started really traveling with the UFC and going to a lot of events and all that stuff and getting to know everybody. So during that boom, like, I, I guess it's my own boom period, but it kind of coincides, honestly, with the boom period of MMA. It really does. Um... Yeah, that was, I mean, okay, I was well, just, it was great. I mean, uh, the whole thing. I'm, we mean it when we say you got an incredible crew, Q rating. You fill in on our show. People are like, man, I just love Chuck. Can't they find more roles for him <laughs> on MK? Can't they just mix him in there more? Why? Just need you guys to be on vacation. Why have often. you lasted so long? <laughs> why do the people love them some Chuck Mindenhall? Put it into real words. <sighs> I don't know. But I, I tell you, it hasn't always felt like they love me that much. I'll tell you, man, there's been a ton of times where I've taken a lot of heat. But I would say overall, over the course of time, now this this could be a criticism too, like maybe people don't hate you enough, you know? Um, but over the course of time, I don't know. Like it just, I think I've somehow connected because of the writing aspect. I think I was the one guy who was, like you mentioned, Ben Folks, or a couple of other people who were hammering uh, opinion type pieces and stuff, but I was pretty consistent with it for 10 years. Like just doing that, I think they got used to it. You're very I never, I never came at it from a uh, mean-spirited or vindictive place. I tried to keep it, and I was not afraid to write very scathing columns, but I think that I always tried to keep it relatively, uh, look at this, uh, relatively, um, I think they want you, you liquor benevolent. I, you know, like where you're trying to be, uh, not uplifting, but just you're not trying to be a negative cruel. in the space. Not trying to be cruel. Not trying to be cruel. Yeah. And actually having that empathy and things. And those things really are nuanced things over the course of time. There are a lot of people who write about the hype of games before or the fights before they happen, but there's very few people writing empathetically on Sunday morning mm -hmm. about what just happened to this guy who lost or whatever, you know. Um, I did that, you know, and I, but I was very conscious of it. Like, it were very, you know, you, I would put a lot of thought into what's the real thing I should be covering here, not just jumping on some kind of, um, you know, fiery topic and, and just hammering somebody or whatever. I didn't really do that. I mean, that's cool. I, I would like you, to think that that's uh, that part of it. Did you ever get head like that from a co-host before, though? Okay, that's really what I want to know, okay? No names here, but uh, God, Luke maybe. could not be more disinterested in his life and this job and this show. I mean, it's great. I would say more, your, more your joke. But hey, I mean, hey, can I get more of that Nelk Boys hard dad seltzer? Well, I mean, what do we I mean, got going on? on? Wait, is it I mean, really Nelk Bartender? Boys? Yeah. Wait, who is your Wait, last one? I'm drinking it because I want to get that bag, baby. <laughs> the one that Dana gave him. If they didn't cash that you yet, that? you know. You're trying to have seltzer to get 250K large? Yep. Yeah, I want to connect with a younger we demographic. Go. We got. All right. Here we come. Hey, could you walk oh, in more awkwardly? Yeah, what are you coming to do? Drug us? that thing in front of here? Thank you. <laughs> what the hell was that? You got more beer down yeah. here on the okay. ground. All right. Uh, Chuck, yes, uh, sir. favorite things you've written? Any stand out? Oh, man. This is great. See, I think I feel like all shows should be about me and like what what I. Yeah, it's fun, about. right? This is great. Hottest chick you would. No, sorry, keep going. Here it goes. Wait, hold on to that one, DC, BC, DC. Um, <laughs> the the best thing. Um, my favorite thing. Ah, there's so many columns that I really like, but then there's sometimes you write a column that you think you're, you know, I couldn't have been better, but if you felt like people didn't read it, you know. Mm. It would just fall flat. And there's a couple times where you wrote something where uh, you thought it was just okay, and everybody loved it, you know? It's got to be the strange brew piece, But right? the strange, if you're talking about the longer form pieces. That one was a grand that one, slam. That, that was the one, Didn't probably. you go to Van Vancouver yeah, yeah. Tell and the people, So tell the people the story. What is tell this? The, tell the story. Well, do you like the full story? Because, I mean, honestly. So season one, there's a guy in the Ultimate Fighter. Okay, so season one. That's the story one, I'm talking about. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. You found there's him. A, yes, yeah, found yeah. Him. So there's yes. one guy. Season one being what it is, right? Like, you got to put it in the context. Season one was the one that I think most people have paid attention to. If you're following the sport, you've paid attention to Tough, the original Tough, because of the Bonner, Griffin, all that stuff that played out and it being this big moment for the UFC in the finale, all that stuff. But the one forgotten figure in this weird way who's not totally forgotten because people remembered his name was the strange brew uh, Jason Thacker, right? Yes. So he was this guy who never belonged on that show. It almost felt like he was being thrown to the wolves. And uh, this is also a time in MMA. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll make a brief. Where yes, he's you, used to it. He's been on the show. Before. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. You're used to be trampling no, all of your good ideas like with this. my bullshit. But but the long story short, for the people who may not have seen season one or understand the context, season one of MMA are so tough. Yes, there's a last pick every time, right? Yeah. In every season. But you understand, this was at a time when, like, yeah, the guys who were good were really good. There's a lot yes. of fringe players in the sport at the time. People who now would have been weeded out much earlier sure. in the process. So the dude was like, he was 
I cannot explain to you how much he was out of his element. He was way out of his element. Even if physically, he didn't look like he belonged there. The coaches kind of picked on him in the season. Uh, you know, Chris Lieben spritzed in his bed. Oh, you know what I mean? They, he was just kind of the butt of all jokes. And I think that coming out of it, because we had never heard from him again. I mean, literally, he had no... Um, there was no trace of him that you could find in like social media or anything like that, that I was like, what happened to this guy? So for a year, like uh, not, not for years, I would say for a good year and a half though, I was asking around like, where is he? Where, has anybody talked to him? Talking to old school guys, Greg Savage, guys who were mm -hmm. around back in the day and be like, Hey man, have you, do you know anything about him? Thomas Gerbezi. D Thomas Rios. Thomas Rios. I don't know if I asked him. He wouldn't have been much good in that. But uh, I was uh, I was asking a lot of these guys. That's another negative uh, voice that was actually Dude, sort of that guy used time. to be I forgot edgy. all about that guy. If you're Thomas Rios, if you're watching this, I used to read your shit. You were great. You were edgy what as shit. that guy? Anyway, I, uh, uh, I'll tell you off yeah, 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 yeah. just, Actually, I kind of remember Somebody now. just rip one in the back. Dude, I, somebody, <laughs> so apparently what's happening is they're staging a podcast <laughs> behind us while we record this podcast. It's, all get this. It's a podcast on noisily moving yeah. furniture. I love his. <laughs> Like water. Keep so going, keep going. he couldn't be found. And I kept talking about this because I was like, this is probably, I, I was able to basically make a gut decision. Like I can guarantee you he's out of the spotlight on purpose because he was humiliated by what happened to him on the show. Mm. But you know, you're pitching, a, you're pitching, a, you want to do this feature on a guy that is a very marginal figure in the sport, even though you know it's going to be a good story. Brent, it's the white whale. Right. And I mean, nobody had, people had tried to get him before, even for reunion stuff, and they couldn't get him. So I did this whole thing where I had to trace him down and, and track him down. I tried a million different avenues. And finally, um, I'm sort of embarrassed that this is, because it shows like the level of journalism Come I'm clean, dealing with. Come clean with I this. called Nevada. <laughs> I think it was Nevada. And I called, or was it, uh, no, it was Nevada. I called Nevada and I just asked them, like they're whatever they're uh, called the state of Nevada. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. And I asked them. I forget exactly how I found, them, but they gave me a number that I hadn't had yet, and I called this number, and he answered. And I was like, "What the hell?" And then it became this process of convincing him to let me come visit, telling him, "Hey, man, I'm going to tell your story in a truthful way." And that went on for a couple of months. It was like the I've never been involved in a piece that required that much kind of legwork just to get it rolling. And then I had to talk to guys. To do the full context of the story, Craig Pelesian, is that his name? Like the, the dude the original uh, yeah, I think it's producer, it, yeah. yeah, like, mm -hmm. uh, and guys like that to get the full story of how they viewed it, how they were kind of seeing it. And then once I went out there and I wasn't sure if he would, uh, once he agreed to it, which took some convincing, I went out there, found him. He's like an hour out of Vancouver um, in this very remote little area and, and all that. And it was... Uh, I was able to get him, and I was so afraid he wouldn't show up. He looked like Roy Nelson, like he had like a big beard, and it turned out to be exactly what I feared. You know, the guy's life had he did been not, severely he, affected by Yeah, tough. he did not seem to miss MMA no. at all. Not miss it, but scarred. Like, mm. where he said, you know, he's telling you stories about being bullied, all, you know, people wanting to pick fights with him in bars afterwards like after, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, just, and things were, so he just retreated. Into a uh, into his own little wilderness and lived basically with his family uh, on a little compound, and Damn. he just had no reason to want to come out. And so this—that's how Unabomber set up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very similar. I mean, but this is how it all came up. And so I told that story, and I tried to put the balance in it from the other side of how why they did it. Dude, Dude you, you wrote the shit out of it. You wrote the so absolute. It was, what, what did he say about it? About the piece. Mm -hmm. He was grateful for the peace, and uh, somebody had started a, uh, a GoFundMe for him because he was, he was I mean, they were not thriving where they were, you know, and uh, it raised, I don't know, five figures. It was like in the five figures, and uh, mm. and I, he sent me a note one time, one night, one time he sent me a note on email that it was just basically like, thank you very much, I appreciate what you've done, and all this, and I, I asked him, would you just send a post some kind of video to say that, uh, you know, what you think, because I knew this would be the last time we'd hear from him. He did that. He posted a video that we, like, you know, everybody posted around saying thank you and uh, in his little barn where he has a heavy bag and all this stuff, and then that was it. I don't think anybody's heard from him again since, wow. man. Just the weirdest Dude, thing ever, You should ever, take man. that spirit and start tracking down missing people, all right? I thought about others. Wayne Weems, where, whatever happened to Wayne Weems? I mean, <laughs> no, but I mean, there probably are. name, Jesus. You, you, could, uh, you could, I'm sure you could go down. But see, th this one was unique because it was tough one, right? It was tough one. It's the white whale it's story, It's the white man. whale story. So I was like, I needed to do that Dude, one. Dude, how many stories is like, you know, it's, oh, I got an exclusive interview with so-and-so. Yeah, for this media cycle. 
The next media yeah, cycle, someone else will get the exclusive or whatever right, the fuck. Right. And Did so, you ever find Just Bleed Guy? Was that you? Who, who oh found man, him? No, it wasn't Somebody me. found him. Oh, the dude who was like the original, like, fucking, yeah. you know. <laughs> he, well, he did yes, some time. Did the original. It was you as a fan, basically. If it was close enough. Same spirit, Same at least. spirit, certainly. As you're Thomas show. Rios. Thomas Rios, wow. Yeah, I have a story about that, boy. <laughs> wow, wow. Chuck, speaking of R. Kelly's favorite 90s song, yeah. All Over You, All okay, he just, Over he, he, Me. Okay, he just went to jail. Uh, Chuck, what would you say? Because I've always said the most 90s oh, song. You guys are much uh, much more strict with uh, Uriah Faber. But anyway, go it's, ahead. It's uh, Semi-Charm Life by, by Third Eye Bond. It's just when you hear that, it's the most 90s pop rock Change amazing. Radio what station. is What is the defining 90s song for your mind? Oh, my okay? God. For your ears, for your, well, for uh, your you soul. Talk, because there's different... Uh, there's really different eras because if of you're course. talking about the Nirvana stuff, I mean that's there is a split it, in early yeah. and late '90s yes. because it, once you get to the mid '90s, there was a lot of vanilla, a lot which you enjoy. Well, we had real grunge in the early to mid '90s. Yeah. Then that obviously became pop grunge once <laughs> they found money in it. But unfortunately, <laughs> yes. then that became the Woodstock '99 boy bands, heart, like new metal, all that bullshit, man. Uh -oh. So. Uh -oh. In between, there were a few hits or a few jams. I mean, if, if Machine Head by Bush was on right now, I'd be, I'd be like, I mean, breathe in, there's so many. breathe but in. But they were all different. They felt like, because I guess it was the last great time for um, radio, you know, a monoculture where everybody's listening to the radio. I know. Dude, when we grew up, I, I told people this, like, I the, know. the guy who was the local morning DJ on your rock station, I know, that exactly. dude was a fucking celebrity in town. Yeah. So, but it felt like there were many eras within one, one decade. But maybe filter... Uh, Hey man, nice hey, shot. Hey man, nice shot. That is a Damn, hell of a that's track. That's a deep dive right there. Is it? I, I, I felt wish like I, I would have yeah. met you. That yeah. was a great it, one. Did, wasn't that the lead singer's song to Kurt Cobain? Isn't that right? Is that what it was? I don't even know the. I, okay, so here, let me just preface that by saying I read it on the internet. I cannot uh, vouch for its <laughs> veracity. I felt like it was about some politician or something, but I don't remember the story to be honest. Maybe okay, you know, I, you're the guy. You're like I, the resident I thought 90s you would go a little more expert. mainstream for your like song of the '90s that defines the '90s. That when I hear it, I okay, think so about the '90s. Uh, Semi like charm life, it. okay. Is it maybe? It really it could is. Be. Or alive? I mean, there's a few in this category, okay. Yeah. Luke has, and it looks like uh, Sepultura, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you say that like yeah. you're shitting on a band. Come rape me by... Were you into by, uh, music at all? No, so back at the time, I was probably listening to the same kind of bullshit rock that BC was, to be candid with. A little on the heavier side, for sure. I definitely so, liked, I liked Slayer in high school. I liked Metallica in high school. Okay. Um, but I didn't... Nine I was, Nails? The I'm into... Um, Yes. I mean, Pretty Hate Machine, it, it got a lot of people's but attention see, beyond like, that. Beyond yeah, but that. I was also li like listening to Helmet and then eventually Pantera and shit okay. like that. So I'm a little, a little bit. You're a little bit on the outskirts of the mainstream radio. Yeah, a little so. bit. Little that's bit. all right. So was I. I saw Collect I my first concert was Collective Soul. Oh, I mean, I'm a bitch. So you know, lame. Lame. I love soul. that. Yeah. Yeah. You like the live? You like live? I do. I've yeah. seen live a bunch of times, you know, yeah. They got a, they got a pop in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a, yeah, they're, what a, uh, they're, what a loser I am. Wow. Uh, Sorry about that. Chuck, what's the... Look, I don't care if you think this is a bullshit question because it gets me going inside. All right. I see. Where, where were you pointing? <laughs> it wasn't his drink, I'll tell you that much. What's the best What's the best fight you've ever seen in person? For me, we already know. We already know oh, it's out of sunny gas We already fucking know the answer. Chuck, what's your answer? You had to be in the arena. Well, there's a couple of them. I was at the Pat Berry... Uh, in Pittsburgh, yes, I was at that fight. Damn, and, uh, hey, why the I hell mean, were you in Pittsburgh? Damn, because yeah, ESPN, they, I used to do all this stuff. But that, like, wait, wait, was that the Nate Markwart show? Yeah, the it was it like Mark, like uh, Charlie Brenneman had had to step up or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, he had it was the TRT era, and right. I think shit went crazy. Yeah, Markwart was, uh, and it was uh, Rick Story, maybe. I don't remember. What I remember the most is that fight. And Chris Birdman Anderson was uh, partying with us with the Acre Shots and all oh, that stuff, wow. right? Before. You know, Chris Birdman Anderson, he was at the fights. And he dude, saw what the fuck are they la they're laughing at our content? We're he, popping the back. Dude, the peanut yeah. gallery back there. How many Delta Eights are dude, they on? I'm on. I'm on an elevator in Pittsburgh. First of all, the Pittsburgh one really stands out because there was a furry. Con okay, the president of the United States has stayed in our hotel. Jesus, dude, this story is like, so listen, MMA. He stayed. He <laughs> stayed. Story, listen, listen, the president of the United States, furries in MMA wait, wait, Pittsburgh. Yes. Oh my god! I actually wrote about this. I'd have to find the piece. But the fur, like the president of the United States had just left, and then there was a furry convention right on the heels of that. So there was Wait, like what's a fury convention? A fur, it's a like furry. It's like people who dress up like uh, it's people who cosplay as like teddy bears and they, they fuck each other that way and shit. Like, <laughs> oh my god, that's so weird. That's so weird. So right? there's one of these, and then the UFC. I mean, honestly, by the way, that's the least scientific, <laughs> credible answer, but that's all you really need to know about it. It's like The Shining at the end with a teddy bear, like whatever. Yeah. Like, uh, but anyways, uh, they uh, and then and then the UFC was there on top of this, so it was like 
that's their fighter hotel and all this. And then, so all this is going on, you're seeing all this crazy things within, you know, within the, the hotel itself. And then I'm on the elevator, I'm wearing a Colorado Rockies hat, and there's this tall dude, and he's like, are you from Colorado? And I'm like, originally, you know, he's like, and he just kind of looks at me, and I'm like, I'm sitting there. He's like 6'10", you know? That's his so, way of saying, do you have drugs? I was looking at him, and then I'm like, no way. And he's like, he just shook his head like he expected me to, like, figure out who he was. And then we got who off the elevator. He, it was Chris Birdman Anderson, and we oh, go to yeah. the bar. That's how we and, started uh, this. And he's buying, you know, us Jaeger bombs and all this stuff. It was great. He, I was, we were hanging out with him all, all night at that. He sounds so, like a great dude. He was an awesome guy, man. Dude, you always awesome have a way, and maybe that's just your personality, of hanging out with cool people. Like, you bro out with Clever <laughs> Teixeira at the local dude, bar. Cool. You, this is true. Cool people love hanging out with Chuck Mendes. So, that is uh, true. Uh, uh, our guy for Corey Graves from WWE was, was lived in your neighborhood. Oh, that's right. He's your boy too, right? Yeah, but they, these cats lived. I mean, in my town, you know, they're right there in my town, so it's maybe, easy. Maybe but I Chuck's got off with Corey Gray. Uh, maybe Matt Chuck's Pinesky. got really good weed. This is possible. Nah, he's don't. from Colorado. We haven't nope. talked. We haven't talked about it at all. We talked about ESPN. We should talk a little bit about. Uh, we worked together briefly. Yeah, yeah. For like now, a few years, right? Yes. Yeah. Actually, yeah, Chuck's yeah. the reason why you and I are married right now. That might be true. That actually might be true. You were the matchmaker, Chuck. Yeah. I guess that's true. That actually, I, I think there's something to actually, that. Actually, that is true. Dude, we you're were like, looking for MMA beat. Remember, we were looking for MMA beat people on the East right. Coast. And that's I said, right. have you checked in with Brian Campbell? And that's hey, what when was Luke's reaction? What was it? He's like, Brian, what? You know, yeah, yeah. he didn't know what that was. Yeah. No, I knew who you were. I didn't know you by name. I didn't know you by name because we had met previously. Yeah. Oh, oh, really? You didn't know the name? I forgot know? about that. I for, dude, I'm not, you know me with names. I mean, it took me a while to get you to your name. Let's be fair. Yeah, oh, wow. Okay. okay. Uh, but no. So I've authored but, this so, whole But thing. then BC came on, and of course, the rest is history. But yeah. uh, dude, we had some good, t- listen, we all have our differences, but we had, we had some good times there. Oh, yeah, man. Chuck, tell me about what it was like to be on the real A team. The real A team? The, the original MMA beat A team. So you, me, Ariel, and then the old wags. I mean, it's kind of like you're the Beatles of MMA, and I, I'm joking. Oh, but, 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 Jesus. Oh, man, but, I mean, shut your okay, whole okay, mouth. Okay, okay, okay. But, like, that was that was a pretty good time to be alive in the MMA media. Yeah, it was all right. Um, I thought that that crew, I know you were talking about ESPN's crew, but I thought that that particular crew was about as good as it gets because everybody had their lane, essentially. Like, yeah. uh, Wagenheim was the drug lane. <laughs> well, no, not just, yes, yes, yes. Uh, so Jeff kind of entering the space <laughs> as that guy. But, like, I'm talking about the MMA fighting crew in general because you had Ariel and you who are, you know, you guys are doing what you do and you're still doing it and people are paying attention to that. But you had, you know, Mark Romandi was there and Sean Elshadi and Esther Lynn is the best, you know, photographer. You had everything like that. So it was kind of like an extension of that, right? Like to do the MMA beat. I felt Brian like Tucker, was... shout out. So yeah, everybody was pretty good. Uh, but the uh, the MMA beat was, it was like kind of like, I felt like it was, uh, it hit all the spots because we were all very different. You know what I mean? I felt like it was, it was cool to be on that. Uh, it was fun. It was, the original idea was kind of to be like the sports reporters or something like mm-hmm. that. And I, I mean, people still ask me about that all the time. I'm sure you get it too. Like people ask, when are you guys going to bring back the MMA beat? You know, so it's a, uh, it's one of those things, but it was fun. Well, man. the I mean, original idea was it for it to be classy under the aerial flag, but by episode 200 when they dropped a little BC on that, the 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 landscape was different, the flavor was different. But like from Brian Tucker, was he trying to tone you down? There were there was a time I went too far. I may have gone too far I could for see Vox. that. One hundred. Sorry, Vox. I may have gone yes, too in far. Fa- in fairness, that. it was probably you know uh, deserved. But like the truth of that show is that was Ariel's brainchild, and more to the point, like we talk about what's or different. Or I never got that straight. Uh, I was on episode one. I I kind of. Th- Thought Ariel's, I think it was Ariel's Ariel more. I mean, I don't know for certain. I think he was the one who wanted to be like the sports. Is he like the so, but that, this is my Beatles point. Fan. Ariel obviously was always has always been a big fan of regular yeah. sports media. Like he cover, yeah, he, yeah, he's yeah. a fan of other sports, and so he understands what what that sort of looks like. And at the time, major sports entities they kind of had MMA reporters and stuff, but they weren't doing that kind of show. Right. And so it was almost like to, we talk about what's different. At, at the time, it was a little bit of a you know um, you're lucky to do a project like that, but it's also one of necessity, right? Yeah. Yes. There was a space for it. I think that people really dug it. To this day, there are people like uh, Lorenzo Fertitta is one of the people who's mm-hmm. talked to me about the MMA beat. The guy would watch it during his walk, uh, like when he was working out and things like that. Nate Diaz, who I saw in Vegas uh, last month, same thing. He knew a lot of the shows about MMA beat. He was naming episodes. He had it on his phone. He was finding that's episodes wild. on no, his phone. No, that's seriously. You, yeah, you hope shit. that when you're at that yeah. level and you make a show like that, but to actually see it permeate where people in the business are like, I got to hear what these guys are saying. That was, that was what was fun. Is like I felt like our audience was like that. Like Everybody was paying attention to it. You know what I mean? So that, that was cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, I had a lot of fun too. BC, when did you come on? What episode? Episode two hundred. Was it really flat two hundred? Flat really? two hundred. Remember, I made the Brock Lesnar joke off the start, and oh, people the, thought the I was tattoo? some chirping idiot. No, about you know how he came to raise the rent on UFC two hundred. He came back for it, so I did the same. That's hilarious. And maybe man. you're like that. In right off the start, you're like you're not that important, BC. I'm sorry. You know, it's you're... so. Let's talk about some lessons you've learned in the game. <laughs> what have you learned about MMA in the way that which you've seen it over the course of its life? Stay the hell out. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> What have I learned about it? What do you know? What do you understand about MMA now that, like, I don't know, that you maybe you didn't when you first got well, into it? Well, I think just like I don't know how you guys got in, but I I romanticized it so much. You realize that as time goes on, like how much you were looking at, it, like this guy's gonna fight him, and like you just you wanted you saw what you uh, what wanted to see within the sport, mm. and you kind of uh, went with that through your. We talked about this, I think, on a morning combat recently. Through your five years of enthusiastic. Um, diehard moments, you know what I mean? Like, I did that. I went through that period of, you know, just the idea of matchmaking. This guy against this guy was like, oh, my God, can you imagine? I'm not out of that period. I'm not out of it either entirely. I think it's good to stay in there. Like, we we do this a lot. I still, there's still plenty of matchups where I'm like, oh, man, that's really good. But I'm not, like, I'm not like I was at that point, you know? But I would say, like, you know, it's just like anything. It's like with boxing, you know, back in the day and all that stuff. Like, you just learn. Once you start to see how the sausage is made, obviously, it was some, en- some enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, you do. You certainly do. <laughs> well, this conversation took a dark turn. <laughs> uh, speaking of, are you going to get any uh, Christmas cards out to Joe Silva this year or, or no? Joe That's, Silva. You got a great Joe Silva story. Which one? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. You talking about the Foxwood thing? Yeah, that guy cussed you motherfucking out, he okay? He did. I've told you this before. Though. Oh, yeah. I mean, in a nutshell... I wrote a piece. I think it was UFC 177 where Joe Soto was fighting on the in the main event of a pay per view against TJ. And I said, I made some remark because it's Joe Soto. I was like, it doesn't matter how the fight plays out because everything plays out in prospect. It doesn't matter what happens. I said, was it TJ? TJ Dillashaw could show up and shoot red beams out of his eyes and disintegrate um, Joe Soto, and people would be like, "Well, it's Joe freaking Soto. Who cares?" You know, like blah blah blah. I made this column. That was just kind of a humor thing, and a, a lot of the there's a lot of levity in those columns back then. And they took umbrage to this and called me backstage. Instead of doing a press conference, Dana called me backstage and they uh, dressed me down for about half an hour at Foxwood. So just basically, the two of them. What was the, the nature of, of their complaint that you were too? Um, you know, just that I was, for first of all, like just kind of not speaking out of turn, essentially, not like seeing the big picture sort of thing, f- focusing in, not, you know what I mean? Like just kind of like that sort of thing. And then, you know, shitting on my plate type thing. Well, you guys make your money at this. Why would you want to shit on this? You know, Did they that burn sort of your thing. credential in front of you and then No, no, no. There was, none of that. there was none of that. To be honest, it was, it started very severe. And it was mostly Joe Silva who was actually like really doing the uh, pacing and, um, you know, veins popping in his head. Dana was kind of the cooler presence of the two, which was pretty funny. But honestly, it kind of ended, you know, in a nice way. It wasn't like they were really well, pissed look, at me. Well, look, I'm not here to say anything about Joe they Silva. Just, He's a Hall of Famer for a reason, and he should be considered that. But when he retired, I love that the first eulogy from everybody was, because a motherfucker, man, which, <laughs> which, which means in the end, like, well, how we, had to be. like how we talk about Dana historically. Uh, he had to be. He had to be to, to win to that success, Dana included. He had to be. But, dude, he dominated that job and knew exactly he did, what he was doing. And he so. wasn't afraid. Like, you think about that job and people are like, oh, they glamorize the matchmaking aspect. But you're also the guy that cuts everybody. Yeah. You're the guy who's, you know, talking. You're the guy who has to tell your star that yes. he's not worth the money it's he like, thinks he deserves. It was like 75-25 in terms of what you wouldn't want to be dealing with towards, you know, and then the matchmaking being the fun part of that job, you know. Yeah, no doubt about but, it. Uh, did you ever get an angry phone call or did you ever get any issue? Outside of that four-minute hit job video <laughs> post Tai Chi Palace, I started. Wait, wait, what? I didn't even get an IMDb entry for Dana that. remember when Dana made the, uh, like the, the defiant video about how all the media was overhyping COVID or doubting him during oh, yeah, COVID yeah, yeah. and doubting their capacity. But they put, oh, yeah, right. but they pulled yes, all I the comments remember. from the Tai Chi Palace. The That's Bob right. Which they yeah. have since conspicuously deleted. Outside that of that, hilarious. I have stayed out of. Look, dude, Danny used to come to ESPN once a year before the ESPN, to long before 2012, 13, sit down with us on the staff for like an hour and shoot the shit. We loved Dana back then. You know Except he I mean? wouldn't talk to Josh Gross. That was he, I was, no, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so there's just a one gloomy lesson. Give me like, what do, what do you what do you say to young people who like want to get involved in media who potentially Gosh. want to write or anything else? Any sort of like... I feel like all of my negative experience hasn't really been 
from the coverage itself. It's from the outlets themselves. Like, it's more from the places I'm working. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck out here just... <laughs> but honestly, man, I mean... I, I, Chino I really XL, fuck you. <laughs> so, okay. to be honest, I mean, like, that's, that's kind of... The, the game, like... I feel like the game itself, if you're rolling with the punches, no pun intended, but if you're rolling the punches of the fight game, you're going to be fine, but it's really your outlet itself. Like, are they allowing you to be creative and be who you want to be? You know what I mean? Like, are they allowing you to do what you can do and you know your talents are? That's really what it comes down to. My biggest gripes would be more in that realm than actually what the sport has delivered or how it's turned or anything like that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised to hear that a little bit. Yeah. Not that you would be at odds with other people's creative vision, especially when they have power, but that the industry itself, yeah, you've had, but you've had some pretty cool experiences, though. Cool experiences, and you know, I mean, I, if I had it my way, I would have been at DSPN. I would just stayed at DSPN the whole time. Like you would have just started there, and yeah. that's where you'd still be. But that's not how the industry works. And then you know, the way that they kind of shut that down before they brought it back was, you know, that was a hard thing. You know, there was things with Vox Media. You know what I mean? We've talked about a Shit's lot of this. Shit's happened, okay? Yes, yeah. Shit's Creek got full. That's how we went right? full circle. But I want to... Because wanna, uh, you mentioned I'm a survivor. And I, I want to go full... And I want to go <laughs> full circle. How, how, how popular you are in the sport does kind of matter, but what really matters yeah. is your, how long you can stick around. That's that the hardest true. thing to do. That is true. So, Chuck, I want to indulge your fan one more time before Luke pulls the plug on this. <laughs> I asked your favorite fight... <laughs> I want to ask you what fight were you the most hyped ever for leading up to it? I'm going to quickly give you my answer to frame it. The second Silva Sonnen because of how the first one went. 100. For whatever reason, I, mean, I was at a 100 out of 100, fully erect, ready to watch this fight, and then it sucked. Lesnar Carwin. Dong is big. Lesnar Carwin was like Andre the Giant <laughs> versus Hulk Hogan. I was so in on every level. What was the one fight where you're like, I, uh, this is my job, but the fan in me can't man. stand up at the moment, okay? <laughs> Looks like uh, I hate this shit. Well, well actually, I'm, I'm, that one would you you really that, that filibuster about yeah <laughs> uh, your your penis complex is really quite something. Good. I mean, there are a bunch, but I would say that actually UFC 117 because of the way Chael. So the first fight with Chael and Silva because of the way he presented it, Chael Son, the way he'd sold that fight, he was poking the bear. Nobody has ever gone against uh, Anderson Silva, and I knew he was going to apologi unapologetically wrestle. He was going to do the thing that he does well, and I was like very intrigued as to how that would play out, and it played out epically. I would say that that one I was way into, and including the rematch, so I'd put that like as 1A and 1B like in that category. The, the, I mean, you know, the McGregor-Habib one, only in the it's sense right of like... If it's yeah. not in your top three, you weren't alive during it. And then the Cormier-Jones one, because you're talking about yeah, like that, that time, big. man. It was so big. It just felt like you couldn't have guys with... Uh, they were they were the two best at the time that you could actually pair, and they uh, did that. I think you got to put McGregor-Aldo in that, McGregor-DS2 yeah. uh, in that, the build-up to that. Luke, did anything else? I mean, people want to hear you actually enjoy your job. Is there any other Dude, fights? I love my job. It's like Schlemenko, you remember I'm trying to think of my, like, the biggest like, the biggest ones we've been, been like, sort of... Were you, as a fan, you're like, I just fucking need to see this fight. I just need to see I, what it's like. I will like. tell you, I really loved the build to uh, UFC 100. I really loved nice. the build to 100. Um, what was the one fight you were most jammed on, though? Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar. Yeah. I had slowly been rematch. turned over time because, I again, so, like, the I, this, I've told this story many times, but, like, that was the first time when I saw traffic, his traffic delivering on the site. I was like, ooh, you can do this for a living. You all you care about is traffic. That's well, always the debate between us. I want like, it to this guy resonate. Like, this guy's just like leaving all the lights on and like doesn't know who pays the power bill. Fuck this. Turn the blender I, on. I, want the I just want to hear to some feel, white noise. Luke, I want our viewers to feel something uh, and, be, and be like no one else I feels like that. I no one else bangs me like That's these right. two guys. Yeah. Do, God you know? damn it. We just had a gang bang. <laughs> UFC 100 was awesome though. Good transition. Never did jump off the uh, Mandalay Bay, by the way. He never did. All right, let's uh, let's end on this. This is something you mentioned at the beginning when we talked about the changing role of the writer and uh, the opinion writer, specifically in MMA. You mentioned it comes from reading. Why don't you give people some reading recommendations? Oh, that's, the so that's the last question. Why don't you at least ask him historically which members of the women's strawweight division, right? I mean, come on. You know okay, I mean? we don't have to make it the last one. Well, fine. <laughs> We've already plugged that. Yeah, yeah like, we have. That's right. Okay, I don't, first of all, I don't... I didn't know Reading was lame. Okay. <laughs> That's new. Remember when you had Fado? You're like, yo, Fado, tell me about Russian literature. Dude, this is like the old Bill Hicks joke. What you reading for? No, not what am I reading. What am I reading for? I read for a lot of reasons. Uh, what, what, give me some recommendations. Man, The Sweet Science... By A.J. Liebling. Mm -hmm. I still think that's the first thing anybody should read. I just, I feel like it not only informs you of boxing's past, but it just, it 
carries it classes up the sport, yeah, man. It classes up the sport, but also just carries the vibe of the fight game. It's everything you'd want to know about the fight game. Yeah. You know, like uh, I would Four say, Four Kings that one, by George Kimball. Come on, put it there. Four Kings. You know, I've never read that. I've never Ooh, read that. It's great. It's it is so great. Oh well, no, I'll so read great. that one. Uh, gosh, man, the Joyce Carlos, and I don't remember. Unboxing, I think. Unboxing, I think it's just that, right? Like just unboxing. So very good. I mean, it's just because it's a whole different perspective. It points out a lot of good stuff. Uh, Mark Cram, The Ghost of Manila, is very good. Um, I mean, uh, these are just kind of the the old school boxing ones. Uh, Eisenberg, what's that? God, he did one too. I'm horrible with the titles actually. When Jerry I Eisenberg, yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah. did one about kind of like he kind of connects heavyweight, the history of heavyweights, yes, and yeah, yeah. yeah I read that one. It's really amazing. good. Um, because boxing is older, you get a little bit more of those like deep features. See, that's what like I, that. I, I still you should think be that the best, for MMA. Well, dude, you should that's write. That's who he was, dude. That's who the you should write. Was. Not a book, the book, yeah. Chuck. You should write the book. On, All right, I'll on, do it. <laughs> I'd love to. Actually, I really would love to do that at some point. Uh, I think that's a. I'm thinking about ghostwriting. You're finally, writing, uh, you're finally to the point. Publishing you got to kind of marinate in the sauce, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we've been in this sport now. I've probably been in what 15, 16 years. Yeah, and now it's you're getting to a point now where you could actually do something like that, and and it would be wise because you've been around it that long. I'd like to you know? ghostwrite Cheyenne Felicitas's autobiography. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll ghost ride that whip. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my fucking! <laughs> wow. Aren't you glad you stayed up for this? Yeah. Oh, Thank you. Jesus. Remember when Lord. you used Where to? Remember when you used to join the action and drink margaritas and have fun? Now your organs are failing. Yes. I mean. Now I'm now I'm just, just <laughs> shitting blood every two hours. It's great. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, all right. On that note, uh, Chuck. Do my yellow I, teeth mesh well with I this couch? I, I mean, let's be fair, right? I hope I've answered all of your questions. Chuck, welcome okay. to the MK Couch. Yes. Thank you. Uh, we are good. Delighted to have you. Hey, man. We will, as you know, we'll have you back uh, very soon. And uh, if people want to check like, out your we're stuff. We're filming something in five minutes, if, so we'll yeah, have you yeah. back right yeah. away. If people <laughs> want to check out your stuff, just very quickly, how can they find you? Well, they can find me on Twitter, at Chuck Mendenhall, at Chuck Mendenhall. And uh, I don't even know what my Instagram you're, is. TheMyth.com, like bro. TheMyth.com. Yeah, TheMyth.com is uh, where I, I do some writing. M-I-T-H. Yeah, you can purchase the hats there. Thank you for the plug again. I can't believe we didn't even get into the Boston Scally cats. Didn't even get into oh, that. We should, okay, we should do a bonus clip very quickly. Yeah. When did you start wearing those? Like it's <laughs> oh, oh, so, so, when did you I get like, old, Chuck? Uh, yeah, I got old very early. No, I was, uh, I, I don't know, to be honest, man. I think actually it just kind of started off back in like 2010-ish maybe. Yeah. Nobody wore these caps. You know what I mean? Time. Nobody really wore them. But I, uh, I just wore one once, and then people. I don't know. I don't even know. It just kind of became a I thing. I mean, LL Cool J wore the Kangles. You know? Yeah, I guess. So. Yeah, but he, he he banged a lot while wearing that. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, do you think you know Chuck I mean? could play Anakin Skywalker in a remake of Episode Six of you Star like, Wars? Okay. Yeah. I think. Maybe if I uh, see them without it, I have. No, it's just it's it's a combination of my pale skin yes. and. The fact that you don't see me without it, dude. Often, you know. Just, just look at yourself in the camera right now, BC. I mean, look at you. What a dub t. What a dub t piece of shit. Let, let me down. Our love is like water. Once again, we went five minutes too long. Luke, you did it again. Yeah. I, I knew to pull the plug at the right time. All right, Chuck. Uh, good to have yeah, you, my friend. We'll thanks, see you man. again soon. Appreciate it, guys. Everyone, Thank it's you. Chuck Mendenhall. MK, we're out. <laughs> <laughs>